Okay, welcome back to Talking Knicks. I'm Tom Piccolo coming to you with another episode about maybe the hottest team in basketball. Um, we're actually recording this on Sunday morning. So this is before the Celtics game, uh, which means if you're listening to this, you know something that we don't. But, uh, you know, we decided that the outcome of this Boston game really doesn't matter. It doesn't impact how we're feeling about this team, uh, the, the good vibes surrounding him. So let's talk about it. Let's talk Knicks. All right. I am joined today by my co-hosts, Kenny and Greg Poon. Uh, Greg, I feel like it's been a minute since you've been on the show. How are you doing? How are you feeling? How are you? I'm good. I'm doing well. I saw you guys in uh, St. Lucia. We had fun at the wedding. I'm sure you guys covered that. Me and Kenny got coronavirus. Have you seen this? You heard about this? Brand new. We got, we got that. But other than that, I'm doing good. The Knicks are good. And I'm all in on them. I love I don't know how I escaped getting yeah. COVID. Um or maybe I just test ne- tested negative and, and still had, it. I didn't feel great there for a minute. So who knows? But uh, yeah, I think we're all, are we all feeling good now? Kenny, how are you doing? Uh, I'm pretty much fine. I, uh, I've been pretty much fine this entire time. I've been a little bit, a little bit tired, but I uh, also didn't really sleep um, as much as I usually would on at the wedding. So I attributed it to that. Uh, but then, you know, one of our friends tested positive. So I checked myself and I also tested positive. So here we are. But like Greg said, uh, I think it's the Knicks have been killing it. So it was a good week to be in isolation, just watching TV and whatnot, because uh got to watch some good Knicks basketball so far. Guys, they're like they're on fire. They've won eight in a row as we're recording this, um, you know, potentially nine when people are listening. But either way, like I, th- this team's just been awesome. They've won nine of their last 10. They're currently fifth in the East. Uh, that puts them, they're one and a half games behind the four-seeded Cavaliers and two games ahead of the Brooklyn Nets. So they're closer to the four-seed than they are to six. Um, I mean, man, we uh, we just didn't see this coming, I don't think. Um, this, is, this is pretty special, the way they're playing, the fact they've been undefeated since the, the Josh Hart acquisition. And I don't know, I think we can probably just quickly go through the games and just talk a little bit about those. The week started with a win against the Boston Celtics at home, which is always nice to beat rival Boston. Um, and, and they won this one it's seemingly mostly with their defense. This is, you know, the, the Knicks right now, I'm looking at cleaning the glass. They have on the season the third-ranked offense. So that that cuts out garbage time. They have the third-ranked offense in the entire league, but they won this game uh, against Boston with, with their defense. They held Boston to just 15 points in the first quarter. Um, did anything stand out in this game to you guys? I know one thing Kenny had said to us privately is that Mitch Robinson's beast on, on the defensive end. Uh, you know, people have said in the past Robert Williams was, you know, maybe better than him, but certainly did not look like it. He made him look like like a child in, in that game. He didn't really do it, do anything. And he really just controls the paint. The Knicks were were very good on on defense and also I thought their offense looked good considering the Celtics defense was like nothing they had seen previously. There's a lot of double teams, a lot of switches, a lot of, a lot of stuff going on and the Knicks were able to handle it. So that's my, that's my broad overview of, of that Celtics game. 
Yeah, and I think this was, uh, I think possibly the story of the game was how poorly the Boston Celtics shot. And I think we probably talked about it early in the season when the Knicks lost to the Celtics after the Celtics hit 28 three-pointers. Like, sometimes teams make it. Well, sometimes teams miss. And uh, that's what happened against the Celtics. They were just missing everything. I think it looks like they finished 9 for 42 from three-point range in that game for a solid 21.4%. And that's what we call in the business uh, regression to the mean. So if you if you go off for a ridiculous shooting night, eventually it catches up to you. That's the lesson here, Tom. Yeah, and I think in particular, Jason Tatum going one for nine from three and, and six of 18 overall. Like the, the defense on Tatum in particular really stood out to me. Um, that was mostly Quentin Grimes and Josh Hart, both of those guys. You know, with Quentin Grimes, you worry a little bit going against these extra big wings because Grimes isn't the the longest or tallest player, though he's he's great defensively, navigates ball screens really well. But you know, sometimes with these with these tall wings, you can put up a good contest and it doesn't matter. I thought Grimes did a great job of just getting his hand right in, in Tatum's face, making him really uncomfortable. And and Josh Hart did the same. He's just he's kind of like a more physical version of that. Um, you know, Josh Hart was sort of getting into his body and, and it was definitely rattling Tatum. Um, I mean, to the point that he got ejected from this game, he was so frustrated. The first technical was, you know, from hanging on the rim. And I think that was kind of like a cathartic thing for him. Cause he'd been playing so poorly that he dunked it. It was a, it was a monster dunk. And he just sort of like, you remember Spida from the and one mixtapes. He just like basically mm. did that and somehow was surprised that he got a technical foul called. I think the technical on that was he he complained because someone like nudged him in the back, so he flipped out on the ref about it. Oh, yeah. it wasn't even from hanging I on think, the rim. So he hung yeah. on the rim, but like, and then I think this we we talked about this I think on the the chat, but I think Josh Hart or someone had a hand on his back, mm. like he didn't push, but he had a hand on his back when he went up, and Jason Tatum did not like that, uh, so he proceeded to argue with the ref about that happening. I mean, look, either way, the, the second technical that got him ejected, that was from arguing with the ref, no no question. And, you know, I mean, this is a guy who's averaging 30 points per game. He's getting to the free throw line more than eight t- times a game. He only took one free throw in this one. Like, I mean, that's a testament to, I think, so, some very strong defense um, by Grimes and, and Hart. And I'm sure RJ was on him a bit too. And then, uh, you know, m- maybe the whistle was a little friendly, but I didn't, you know, I don't think, by any means that that was the the story of the game. Like um, I think one kind of fun storyline in this one was the sort of, sort of six man of the year showdown between Malcolm Brogdon, who played really well, by the way, he had 22 points, 10 of 16 shooting and just looked like he was the only Celtic who really had any rhythm on offense. Um, but then that, that, that was, you know, kind of nullified by uh, Emmanuel quickly's performance coming off the bench. He finished with 23 points, seven of 13 from the field, four of seven from behind the arc. And he quickly is like really looked like the, the confident version of himself. He's having so much fun out there. And every time he's on the floor, it seems like good things are happening. So um, I, I saw that the odds for six man of the year, like jumped for quickly after this game. Um, he started like fifth or sixth in the odds. And I, I believe he's second now, uh, second most likely to win six man of the year. Um, I mean, that's, it's been short. It's been just a few weeks. Of, of strong quickly play, but he, I think people are really starting to notice. Just one thing before I, I jump into the, the quickly train, uh, one more thing on Tatum is, well, I guess two things. First, uh, his ejection came very late in the game. So let's not um, pretend that that 
had a was a factoring in the out, outcome. And the second is uh, possibly part of his frustration is he went up to try to dunk on Mitchell Robinson, which, as Greg said, Mitchell Robinson was a beast in that game, and it did not go well for him. He got swatted, uh, and the rest is history. Uh, but on, on Emmanuel, quickly, um, I think you're right. I think he has been phenomenal this season. And someone, um, I forget who it was on Twitter, um, just posted all of the advanced stats. Uh, and they just have quickly, among all of the people within the um, six-man-of-the-year conversation, quickly was leading every advanced metric by a pretty substantial margin in most cases. And so, you know, I, I don't think that I um, was thinking of quickly in that light. And I think you brought it up possibly before the Celtics game that he was being considered in that uh, maybe it was a couple games ago that you brought that up. And then, you know, like you said, uh, Malcolm Brogdon was leading the charge and then quickly was like, as you said, just absolutely incredible in this game and not even just this game, the last few games uh, he's been hitting big shots game after game. And it's been, you know, um, I think before the year, there was all the talk about, you know, the projections had uh, Emmanuel quickly as the Knicks best player. And we all kind of, Giggled a little bit just because I don't I don't think anyone was expecting him to be. Uh, I think he was like they had him as borderline all star and, you know, he was our sixth man. Um, but he has been phenom- phenomenal this season, in particular in the last you know few weeks. Yeah, we can we can keep it rolling to this next game because, I mean, quickly he's going to come up again, I'm sure. But uh, the next game was also a home win. This one against the Brooklyn Nets another crosstown rival here. And the final score is 142-118. I mean, the Knicks just, it was an offensive explosion. Uh, they they poured on 47 points in the first quarter. I believe they ended up tying a franchise record for, for made threes. Is that is that right? I think in the first quarter, yeah. In the first quarter, okay. In, in a quarter. In, a game. in any quarter. So, I mean, they were on fire. In particular, um, I mean, I think Jalen Brunson, we can all agree, was the story of this one. He pretty much had a perfect game of basketball. I mean, he, he finished with 39 points, 30 of which came in the first half. He was 15 of 18 from the field. I mean, that is just such an absurd level of efficiency and shot making because these are not easy looks. Brunson's not getting fed like dunks. You know what I mean? He's creating his own looks for the most part. And he was just nailing everything. It was one of the more impressive displays of shot making I've seen in a while. So, I mean, Greg, you have anything you want to say about Jalen Brunson's performance there or just in general recently? Yeah. I mean, he was incredible that game. Like you said, 30 points in the first half. He was just pulling up from three and everything. And I think you're, you mentioned he was 15 or 18 from, from the field being super efficient and that it wasn't all dunks. Mitchell Robinson went six for six, but I guess that's not impressive to you because he was, <laughs> Because he was dunking it. But yeah, Brunson was just leading this charge. I mean, this game was was over early. The Knicks as a whole just made every single three-pointer in that first quarter, which was just incredible. Um and really the Nets just didn't have a they just didn't have a chance to come back. But that being said, the Nets the next game played the Celtics and they were losing by 28 and they did come back. So there's something to be said about the Knicks uh Holding on to that lead because the Celtics or the the Nets are they're a scrappy team. I mean, but the Knicks did it. They they put their foot down and they just didn't let the Nets come back. And Kenny, I, I know I, you're our resident Jalen Brunson fan. Anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, I think you guys you guys covered most of it. He he shot incredibly from the floor. He shot incredibly from three. Uh, I think the one thing is, like you said, he had 30 points in the first half, and then the second half he didn't 
force anything. And I think that's something that they talked a little bit about on the broadcast. But um, in the second half, the Nets came out and were just every time he had the ball, they were sending two guys at him. And he was just like, OK, well, someone's open and he passed it off. Um, I think eventually he like I think he didn't get his first shot up in the third quarter until like maybe there was like three minutes left. He got a, a you know, kind of a secondary break, broke through the defense again, got a shot in. But, you know, he was taking what the the Knicks were or what the Nets were giving him. And I think that speaks to kind of the the you know, just the vibes on this team and the the chemistry on this team that, you know, he was he had one of the best halves you will ever see a basketball player have. And then in the second half, he just started out by not even trying to get a shot off because he knew that his teammates would pick it up for him. Yeah. He, that's, that's a great point. Um, so, so just a level of unselfishness there. Um, and, you know, one of the guys he was finding was Quentin Grimes, who really found his stroke in this one. He finished eight of 12 from the field, six of nine from three for 22 points was the second leading scorer behind Brunson. It was good to see, Grimes find his his shot because he'd been struggling a bit recently. Um, I know the efficiency numbers were down for him. In some games, he was barely getting any looks at all. Um, and he was really just out there as a low usage player. So it was fun to see him finally find some rhythm and, and you know, kind of punish a defense for, for leaving him alone. Yeah, we talked a little bit about um, Grimes early in the season, how he – you know, I think you you did a great breakdown of him, um, and I think you mentioned he was one of the best three-point shooters in the clutch. Um, but I think, yeah, to the naked eye, a lot of people had questions about, you know, how well he was shooting the ball. And I think you know, the this game in particular, you know, the shot looked pure, and it was, you know, like you said, great to see. Yeah, and I think, you know, Greg mentioned Mitchell Robinson before going six of six. He finished with 13 points, 10 boards. He I think he had like something like four straight double-doubles or something, but – um, this was again another opposing center in Nick Claxton, who a lot of folks, you know, consider better, like a better young player than Mitchell Robinson. And it was the second game in a row that Mitch thoroughly outplayed them. So that was that was awesome to see. Um, Mitch was definitely feeling himself. And you know, the, the defense in this game, I think when the Knicks came out to such a giant lead, um, I mean, I, I don't even know what the the largest lead of the game was, but it was, it was really high. And I think, you know, there was a bit of a tendency for New York to, to let down and they did start playing a little very loose, right? They turned the ball over a lot. That's going to lead to some easy buckets for the opponent. And so the defense may not statistically have looked that good, but when they were locked in, like during the competitive portion of this game, the defense looked great. And a huge part of that was Mitchell Robinson. So, um, yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, there was a lot of the Knicks, and they were about 24 at halftime. I think they were up by 27 at one point in that second quarter. Mm-hmm. But the Knicks were just like, honestly, they were just messing around in that second half, doing a lot of stupid stuff, just trying to like throw full court alley oops or ridiculous passes down low and just throwing the ball out of bounds. But so honestly, the Knicks like stayed focused. They may, they probably win this one by 40, but. I mean, yeah, it's funny because when, when when the score would get down to like 17, Breen would start, you know, Mike Breen would be like, oh, I don't know. And this, <laughs> the Nets are mounting a comeback, but really it was never in question. And, and kudos to yeah. New York for like, you know, being able to put their foot on the gas when they needed to. Like, even though they were playing loose, this game never was in question. Yeah. And I'll I'll say I was a little surprised by that because I, it, I don't know, maybe it's just for being a Knicks fan that I was a little not not worried yet, but I was a little questioning when it got down to like 17 or, or 18 or something like that. And, 
it, the Knicks won the first, second, and fourth quarter, and they only lost the third quarter by one point. So I guess it really didn't fluctuate as much as it felt like. Um, it felt like it got that, like it got down a little closer than I wanted it to, but I guess I, that's just my my nervous Nick fan tendencies. Yeah, a lot of the time, I mean, and even more so in this next Heat game, Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson are just the answer. They just, when the other team starts their comeback, they just come down and Julius Randle either hit a ridiculous three or just muscle somebody, get to this like patented new and one where he gets a, a floater or a, a jump shot in the middle of the lane. And then uh, Jalen Brunson can get his, you know, patented, just get into the lane man, do whatever he wants, do a couple pump fakes, and then hit a fadeaway. And then you get two points. And they just they just answer everything that the other team throws at them. And that's and that's what's been going on this entire eight, eight game win streak. Yeah, and I think that Greg Greg's hitting on a big point. Um and it's a it's the problem that he mentioned last year. The problem with the Knicks um team as compared to the, the prior year was that Julius Randle wasn't the best player in the world. And now the last few games he has been playing Again, like he's the best player in the world and him and Jalen Brunson are both, you know, people send out around the stats and, and say that, you know, both of them are playing top 10 in the NBA at this moment. And it feels like it. So uh, it's and that really helps everyone else, too. And like Jalen Brunson being very good, takes some of the pressure off of Julius Randle. Julius Randle being very good, takes some of the pressure off of Jalen Brunson and both of them being very good, takes a lot of the pressure off of everyone else. So that is a huge part of why the Knicks are kind of on this eight game tear is just because they have those two guys who are playing extremely well and them playing extremely well allows everyone else to, you know, play their roles perfectly. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I think one of the guys who we have talked about and talked about very glowingly who's playing that role is Josh Hart. And, and this, this Nets game was just kind of a good example where he played 25 minutes. He only finished with four points. Uh, but he had five assists to one turnover and he was a team high plus 30. And you just know that like, I know that's that single game plus minus can sometimes be deceiving, but like Josh Hart is consistently, you know, having the best plus minus on the team. He's do, we've seen him do all the little things that help win games and, and talk about just like a perfect fit in his role. Um, Hart's been incredible. So I just wanted to give him a quick shout out, but no question like Brunson and Randall, are the two pillars holding this whole thing up. And, you know, the Knicks offense, I mentioned it's third in the league, according to cleaning the glass. I mean, that's just so absurdly high, but um, so much of their offense is isolation based, right? They're also fourth in the league in isolation frequency. Um, and I did a quick video breakdown. Uh, you can check it out on, on Twitter or talk to Knicks Instagram, where I, I said like not all ISOs are created equal, right? So you're going to see the Knicks run a bunch, several actions to to get the mismatches that they want. And then they're being very smart about their floor spacing too. They're making sure that when Julius Randle, for example, in this in this last heat game that we're going to talk about in a second, um, you know, he had Bam at a bio on him. They ran a pick and roll with Jalen Brunson to get uh, Brunson's man onto Randle. And then another pick and roll with Quickly to get Victor Oladipo onto Julius Randle. And then they just cleared out. So you had Bam Adebayo spaced out on the perimeter, no rim protection. And it was Julius Randle going one-on-one against Victor Oladipo and it ended up in, in a pretty easy shot for him and what should have been an and one, frankly, the way the game was being called. So um, it's just, it's it's not as uh, 
unsustainable maybe as you might think. Like we saw the Knicks a few years ago, a couple of years back in the We Here season fall apart in the playoffs against Atlanta because so much of that was just like, Randall, we need you, bail us out, go get us a bucket. That's not what's going on here anymore. There's there's a lot more continuity and spacing and intelligence with this team and and you know, kind of a sense of of when to when to cut, when to space out. And so I think that this offense actually feels pretty sustainable and it's because of the way those two guys are shooting the ball. Yeah. And another thing about that, that we hear playoffs against the Hawks that, that I thought of during the during the Celtics game, the the Hawks were just sending double teams at Randall every possession and you know the Knicks just completely fell apart. But the Celtics were doing it in, in that game the Knicks, you know, were able to beat the Boston Celtics who were who were the number one seed in the in the entire NBA until until they lost to the Knicks in that game. So that was that was very encouraging for what the Knicks could possibly, you know, when when you know defenses get more serious in the playoffs, that they could potentially, you know, actually make some noise. Yeah. And I think another difference between this team and that that team is that I think there's just more guys who can go and get you a bucket. Like right now, Emmanuel quickly is a much better player than he was then. And right now, Emmanuel quickly can go get you a bucket if you need it. And um, not in the same way, but Josh Hart can also get you a bucket. Like we've talked about it before, but Josh Hart's ability, ability to be a one man fast break. Like it's not the same way that he's getting you a bucket, but he has the ability to do that every, every once in a while when you need it. Um, you know, RJ Barrett, Occasionally, he can go get you a bucket. And, and at that point in that Hawks series, it was pretty much Julius Randle was our only option. And then because Julius Randle was doubled, Derrick Rose stepped up and played a, a good series. But there wasn't, you know, anyone after that to go and get the Knicks a bucket. And they just couldn't score that entire series. Yeah, and the big thing was oftentimes it was Reggie Bullock's man at that time who was leaving him because Bullock couldn't hurt you off the dribble. He was just not a threat at all. And you you kind of replace him with Quentin Grimes. But Grimes, we've seen time and again, he is able to attack closeouts. He's actually one of the best in the league. His his uh, ability to, to attack closeouts is really impressive. His blow-by rate, which was something that Fred Katz wrote about for The Athletic, was tops in the league because um, he just makes such quick decisions. I wrote about a bit about that as well for Nick's Film School. And uh, like it's, it's not even comparable to Reggie Bullock. So this is a much more complete team. These guys complement each other really well. Um, and then, and I guess the, the one other thing I'll say, you meant talking about Josh Hart. This is also a team that sets a lot more off ball screens. I remember clipping a, one last year because it was so novel. It was the Knicks never set off ball screens. Now we're seeing it every game, whether it's Hartenstein, who's really good at it. Josh Hart did it in a video I clipped uh, again on Talking Knicks Instagram. You can check that out. Um, RJ Barrett, Barrett as well. RJ Barrett's really good at setting these off ball screens. It just wasn't something that was a part of the scheme or just not something that players thought to do in years past. And it's really given the team a lot more versatility. It's not just standing around watching a guy. ISO stuff's happening off the ball and it's huge. It, it makes all the difference. So that's what, I mean, it's so exciting to watch this offense thrive because it feels maybe if it doesn't feel like a top three offense in the league, it still feels appreciably better than it has been in past seasons. So um, I think with that, we can kind of we can bury in the lead a little bit with this heat game, which was one of the more fun, nerve wracking wins of the season. Uh, the Knicks ended up taking this one 122 to 120 on the back of a of a Julius Randle performance that was arguably his best as a Nick. Um, and ultimately, he hit the game winner with 0.7 seconds left, a shot that was 
you know, not exactly how you draw it up. Um, but it was, uh, it was one he, he nailed and it was just, uh, a highlight of the season. No question. It, it was about, it, it felt like a high point and hopefully the Knicks keep building from there, but it's been just so much fun to watch this team. Yeah. And I think Greg mentioned it uh, to us separately, but the shift that that shot caused, because like if that shot didn't go in, I was going to be among the angriest I had ever been uh, this season, just because of the way that, that Jimmy Butler got free, got to the free throw line at an alarming rate on some pretty touchy foul calls. Um, and then, you know, Julius Randle hits that shot. And I don't care anymore about all of the Jimmy Butler calls because the Knicks won the game on a ridiculous shot. You know, the you also see the team celebrating, which again goes to the goes to the chemistry. Everyone's getting together and enjoying it and everyone's having a good time. And, you know, I just it really completely changed the tone of of my night just because it was such a, an exciting way to win a game. Yeah. And the Knicks were winning by 17 at halftime of this one. The heat started to come back pretty quickly. They got it down to you know, like seven ish in the, in the third quarter, but the Knicks, you know, kept fighting back and they, they, uh, they didn't let the heat actually take the lead until very late in this game. Uh, and then the Knicks were, were able to, to hold on. And a lot of like Kenny's saying, that shot changes everything. I mean, Jimmy Butler shot 20 free throws to the Knicks 17. Uh, you know, there was a the challenge call by the by the Heat or by the Knicks challenge a a, a foul where Tyler Hero just got decked by Bam Adebayo, <laughs> and they called a foul on Emmanuel quickly. And then when they reviewed it, they said, "Oh, I mean, quickly technically touched him." So. <laughs> we, we're going to have to stay with this call on the floor. The thing is, that is exactly exactly what they said. They said, like, they made contact at the same time, and we, it's not conclusive as to what happened, although it's pretty conclusive that Bam Adebayo just decked him. And so that was also a frustration. Yeah. And then lastly, like, at the, the Knicks' offense in those last four minutes was not not the best. I know we've been saying how how good the ISO offense has been, but – in the last four minutes of this, it was basically just Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson going back and forth in the ISO. And it didn't seem like either of them were really even thinking about each other. You know, they, they wouldn't pass to each other. And the possession before the 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 game winner, you know, the Knicks just turned it over and then the Heat got a, a transition basket with like 26 seconds left to take the lead. And so that's that was scary. And the Knicks didn't have any timeout because they lost their last time out on that challenge. So a lot of this stuff would have just been so infuriating if that shot didn't go in. But it, but it did. did. But it did. Yeah. And I think uh, just going along with that, like, I don't know, the, the, we've talked about it before, but that's kind of the way that the NBA offenses come down to the, down the stretch is you give the ball to your best players and just kind of get out of the way. And I know that uh, that Julius Randle turnover didn't end up the way that you wanted it to, but like Jalen Brunson hit two or three consecutive shots. So like, I'm not going to fault them for going to Jalen Brunson in that spot. But like, like you said, I don't, I don't know that either of them was really looking to, to pass the ball out once they got it. Yeah. And I mean, other than Julius Randle had a drive where he dished it off to Mitchell Robinson for a dunk. But other than that, 
And that was that was surprising. It didn't seem like he was going to do that. That's probably why it worked. Yep, that's how they get you. Yeah, I think, you know, again, I'm totally fine with, with the ISO, especially at the end of the game. I do think there's just smarter ways or just, you know, ways to balance the floor to make it the, the best possible shot um, and give your guy as much space as he can to go ISO. Um, but, I you know, that's something that, like, we keep talking about the playoffs, which um, is pretty awesome. But I think that's something they, they'd figure out during a series is kind of the best way to attack a team at the, at the game's biggest moments. But you know, in this one, we could talk real quick, like Julius Randall finished with 43 points, 16 of 25 from the field. He had a career. He tied this career high with eight made threes on 13 attempts. Um, Jalen Brunson, similarly efficient. He was nine of 14 from the field um, and had 25 points, eight assists to just one turnover. And that's a big thing that the ISO heavy offenses give you is you really don't turn the ball over much at all. I think the Knicks, might turn the ball over the least in the entire league. Um, I'd have to double check that, but I'm it's they're right up there if they aren't number one. So um that's that's something that's like a, a benefit, kind of a, a lesser discussed benefit of of the isolation heavy offense. Um we haven't talked a lot about RJ Barrett, but he was actually pretty solid in this game. Um you know efficiency wise he was eight of fifteen from the field. He couldn't hit from behind the arc so he was 0 of four from three, but he was eight of eleven from two so for for 17 points, that's you know we we can live with that RJ in a, in a major way. We we'd like to see that from him, um, especially when he's able to to find a little balance between his his scoring and uh, and passing. Yeah, he was very he was very efficient scoring inside the arc. I think it was eight of eight of eleven inside yep. the arc, and he was getting a lot of you know good shots at the basket. Um, there was one where. I don't know it was Hardenstein or someone hit him like in the middle of the paint. It was a very nice cut for a very like a, a pretty easy floater, uh, which is something that I haven't seen the Knicks do before. But it was like it was perfectly played by by everyone on the team. So well, yeah, and that was yeah. that was against the zone, I believe. And if we're talking about the same play, I think I know quickly hit RJ flaring to the middle against the zone on one play. And uh, RJ is probably the best Nick at cutting and moving against the zone he kind of has the best sense of, of space and things like that so um you know and, and the heat play a lot of zones so that's it's important to have a guy who can do that um but then I, one, the last guy i wanted to like really discuss was emmanuel quickly who finished this game with 21 points seven of le- of 11 from the field he was five and nine from three so all four of his misses were from behind the arc um and he had a stretch in that fourth quarter when the heat had cut it to three it was 95 98 the knicks were winning and it was about as close as it had been all game uh like since the first quarter and quickly had eight straight points he hit a an eight foot jumper kind of like i think believe it was a floater and then he hit two consecutive threes um and it it changed the momentum of the game It, it put the knicks back up eight and um it was just uh it felt to me like very critical in the moment yeah, and I think one thing that, you know, that the question that that begs is, you know, the finishing lineup. And it's something that we've talked about before when we talked about last week with Josh Hart um, finishing over um, R.J. Barrett in, in a few of those games. And here, you know, you saw the issue with, you know, they had the, – it was a good issue to have, but the Knicks had a lot of people who were playing well. You mentioned R.J. Barrett was having a very good game getting into the paint. And uh, R.J. Barrett finished this one out with Emmanuel quickly on the bench after Emmanuel quickly, you know, hit those big shots and was was having a big game. Um, and, you know, Tibbs was asked about it after the game. And he just said that, 
you know, he thought the need, the Knicks needed that kind of interior scoring, the ability to, to get to the basket that RJ Barrett brought in that, that situation. And he said, it's going to be the same throughout the season as they're going to go. It's going to be situational. It's going to be who's playing well. It's going to be who, um, who, who Tibbs thinks is the best fit for what the Knicks need at that point. And that's you know, just something that we talked about last week. And it, it was interesting to see kind of how, how Tibbs addressed that. Yeah. Some I mean, there's, yeah, go ahead, there's go ahead. two guys, there's two guys, maybe three, depending on the other team who are hundred percent going to be in at the end of the game. You know, you have Brunson, Randall, and then potentially Mr. Robinson, if you need center and that's then everyone else, you know, whoever need, whatever we need. Yeah. Grimes was struggling in this one. So that was kind of a no brainer. I think that, yeah, the question would be like Hart versus RJ versus quickly. Um, yeah. That's a, a bit of a tougher call. Um, Hart played almost 33 minutes in this one. And, you know, it's not, he was two or three from the field, had five points, also seven boards, three assists, three turnovers as well. But like he was very active on defense. So, you know, Tibbs does not have an easy call at the end of these games. There are, you know, every guy kind of brings something different to the table and it does depend on what you need, um, the defensive matchups and things like that. So, you know, ultimately when you get the win, you, you can't really complain too much, um, yeah, free throws really were a big story in this one, but thankfully we don't have to dwell on that too much. Um, yeah. And then again, I know we've, we've mentioned that the Knicks sort of have been able to to fight back and, and answer comebacks, but you know Tyler Hero got super hot in that second half. Jimmy Butler was, you know, just living at the free throw line, allowing they were just chipping away slowly, and a lot of time during that. Come back. Julius Randle hit multiple other ridiculous threes before that final ridiculous three at the buzzer where you were just like, oh, no, it leads down to seven. They would hit it, you know, get it back up to ten. And, you know, they they made the, the heat, you know, keep fighting until they eventually ran out of time. You know, maybe this game goes another five minutes. The Knicks do not win, but they did. And they were able to, you know, last long enough and, and do what needed to be done. And they did it. I feel like me and Kenny have been doing a lot of living in the world where, where Julius Randle missed that shot. But well, that's because we were so happy that he did. You know, it's just completely different. He was incredible all the entire game. The first half, I don't know, he had over 20 points. And then he just continued on. 16 out of 25. That's also incredible efficiency. No, it's no 15 for 18, but it's it's incredible. It is, and I don't want to overshadow. I mean, the, the the shot that Randall hit with just under a minute left, that was an isolation against Bam Adebayo, who's one of the best defenders in the league. He might be first-team all-defense. He might be defensive player of the year this year. Randall just took it to him, hit a tough shot. He ended up getting the and one and made the free throw. I know the NBA said it wasn't – it shouldn't have been called a foul. Either way, the game was tied at that point. It was 116-116. Randall went ISO against one of the best defenders in the world and got a bucket and won. I mean, that's th those are heroics right there, not to even to mention the, yeah. the game-winning shot. So uh, unbelievable and, stuff from him. And that is, that is something that I think that we've glossed over is that the, the two guys primarily that Julius Randall put his 43 points up against were Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, who are both phenomenal defenders and both very strong physical defenders. And Julius Randall just beat them. And, you know, that's that's what we were saying before about, like, this is a, another year where Julius Randle is going out there and being one of the best players in the NBA. And it really makes a difference for this Knicks team. Yeah. And you're saying that 
how how physical Jimmy Butler was being. He was being like overly physical to the point where like if the Knicks did what he was doing to them, he was getting a foul called. He was doing, you know, two hands on the body, hand checking, which is supposed to be an automatic foul, but it, they were just allowing it. Julius Randle was just fighting through it. So it was incredible. It's good stuff. Yeah, I think we can start to to look forward a little bit. Obviously, um, as we're recording tonight, they'll be playing the Celtics again. The Celtics, one of the best teams in the league. But, you know, it was a couple weeks ago we were saying that New York had maybe the toughest schedule remaining. And uh, I'm looking at Tankathon right now, and they currently have the 21st toughest. So they're in the bottom third of the league, like one of the easiest uh, schedules remaining in the league in the top third, at least in that, in that regard. So like things have changed, like they have weathered the storm of some of the more difficult matchups they have. And so, I mean, I, I don't want to start thinking like four seed, but like that's potentially on the table here. I mean, the Cavs have an even easier schedule. They actually have the second easiest schedule in the league remaining. So, you know, it could be tough to leapfrog them, but either way, like it, Pretty soon we're going to have to start talking about the four or five matchup. Um, I don't want to jump the gun on that, but like it, it's feeling pretty solid just the way this team's playing. I don't want to jinx it though. Did I jinx it already? I, I, he definitely said it out loud already, but I, I, I also said when the Knicks were playing the Heat during that first half, I said the Knicks look good, and that's when the Heat started their comeback. <laughs> but the but the Knicks won, so maybe we don't believe in jinxes anymore. I really but don't. So. I I first. Being a Knicks fan, I'm, I'm still trying to avoid the play in. Um, and that, that's looking better and better. The Heat and the Hawks are the two teams, plus the Nets, who have been in, in free fall until they came back to, to beat the Celtics. The Heat and the Hawks played each other yesterday. They play each other again uh, their next game. So it's, it's starting to look better. The Knicks are, looking at their schedule, 17 games left. They are better, like definitively better than 10 out of the 17 teams they they play. So, you know, they just win the games they're supposed to, play, to win, then they'll they'll be in that 4-5 matchup. Yeah, and we, we talked about – Tom and I talked about this a little bit last week when I think the Knicks were 11th in, uh, in strength of schedule. And this is a, you know, big – or this, la- this past week was a big week for that. They played the Celtics. They played – the Heat and they played Brooklyn, who, you know, because it's based off of win percentage, doesn't take account the fact that Brooklyn lost all of their good players. Um, so that pushed them down to, like Tom said, the 21st. And after they play Boston tonight, that's going to likely go down even further. So um, I think, I think like Greg said, you have to beat the teams that you have to beat. Uh, they play Miami two more times, they play Indiana twice. Um, and those are teams who are kind of in that same range as them that you'd like to, you'd like to beat. Uh, actually, I think Indiana might be in free fall, but. Um, you know, yeah. those are the those are the teams that you you want to be. Yeah, and then gr- grabbing one of those heat games would also give them the three one at least series uh, advantage. So that'd be good. Yeah. So I guess for the rest of this week, um, there's the Boston game, which which as you're listening to this has already happened, and then on Tuesday at home against Charlotte. I mean, that just has to you don't want to take anything for granted, but this is not a Charlotte team that should be particularly competitive. Um, and then Thursday starts a West coast road trip, um, against the Sacramento Kings followed by a back-to-back Saturday and Sunday 
against the Clippers and Lakers. That Sunday night game is it starts at 9 p.m. against the Lakers. Um, so we might have to do another early pod. We're not we're probably not going to record after that. But um, yeah, guys, what are we thinking record wise? I mean, let's let's. I guess we should take the Celtics game out of it at this point because we kind of already made that prediction on the last pod. Um, yeah, but you guys are you predicted incorrectly on the last pod. Yes, that's right. Refactor it. I mean, naturally, Kenny's got his rule. Kenny will uh, let you go. Yeah, so I think uh, at some point, maybe last season, two years ago, we said if the Knicks are on a, I don't know what the 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 number was. We'll call it. We'll call it five. We'll call it if the Knicks are on a five game winning streak. I'm not going to predict any losses. So that's my answer at this point. And I think uh, you know. Not for nothing. We like you said, we have to beat that Charlotte team. The, the um, Los Angeles Lakers will likely be without LeBron, who is out indefinitely. Although, you know, historically in the past, the way that would work is LeBron would come back specifically for that game and drop 45. I think, um, I, I think he's out for the reevaluate. They said originally that reevaluate two weeks, but now they changed it to three weeks. So within this, this game is within that window of him not being filled. So there you go. They won't. They won't have him. the The Clippers have been in free fall since you know. The, I think they lost like four or five straight at this point since acquiring uh, Russell Westbrook. I don't know. If <laughs> no, guys... I wasn't. I wasn't gonna say it, but yeah, they yeah. Uh, they have not been playing well the last few games. Um, so I really, think... it's it's Boston and Sacramento are the teams that are are you know playing well right now that that you wanna you wanna worry about. But I think those are both you know, winnable games. And I, and I, I know I mentioned to you guys, it, it's tough to play the Celtics after they blew that big lead. Cause you figure they're going to come out hungry. If they had, you know, blew that big lead and then came back to win, that would have been nice. Cause you know, you figure that's an emotional win. There might be a little bit of a letdown the following game. Uh, but it, at this point, you know, it, the Knicks are playing well enough that whatever, you know, we'll, we'll take whatever we get. And, and, you know, I think we're, we're good enough to win any game that we're in. Man, the Clippers have lost five in a row. I don't know if you guys saw that last one against Sacramento. Um, yeah, they were they were winning, and, and they had a turnover where the ball just went right through Russell Westbrook's hands. Yeah, I mean, shot shot clock off. They no. could have just held it and gotten fouled. I mean, it was that was unreal. Um, and then they ended up losing on some free throws. Their second loss to the Kings. Um, in not too long, they they lost a double overtime game to the Kings by one, one seventy six to one seventy five. Um, Clippers are playing some weird ball right now, so I don't know what to expect from that from that group. But um, yeah, the way the Knicks are playing, I, I do like. You know, we're not predicting losses on this podcast. Go somewhere else if you want to predict yeah. losses. Yeah, anything else you guys want to talk about on the Knicks front, or we feel like we covered it pretty well. Yeah. I think one thing I, I wanted to say that didn't fit in anywhere is how about Quentin Grimes. He just shoots the ball so fast. Sometimes I feel like he should just chill out and take one dribble and then shoot. That's all. Yeah. No, that's, that, all that's true. <laughs> he he like clearly prides himself on his quick release, which can be very helpful. And he has such a high release point that it's really tough for defenders to contest it, but it can be a tick too fast and he could probably slow down. The, I bet he probably takes this off season to, rework that mechanically a little bit and try and slow it down. Cause he has such beautiful form that, you know, I, I still expect the ball to go in when he releases it, but yeah. uh, the numbers don't fully support it. Yeah. I mean, he shoots it 
equally fast at all times. Like yes. there could be no one anywhere near him where there could be someone directly in his face. So he could take notes on every now and then play Thompson when he's wide open. We'll just take that one dribble to reset and then then launch it up. So just I assume rhythm, he'll be the rhythm he'll be yeah. he'll be taking some some film studies of, of play Thompson. And that's all I have to say. That's my my miscellaneous thought of the week. Kenny, any anything that didn't uh, fit in for you? Any spare thoughts? Uh, not really. I mean, I think I'll I can jump into the the Quentin Grimes thing. I think it's something we've talked about before. Is he takes a real jump shot, and I think that might be part of the reason that it looks so quick is because he builds a lot of momentum to jump as high as he does when he takes a jump shot. So I think that might be part of the yeah, reason that it a, looks so quick. That's also a what Ray Allen did. He always jumped very high on every single shot. Looks exhausting. <laughs> He that's and you know I don't know if he'll he'll hit that point where he's invited to be in the three point contest, but because of that he would not be a good contestant no. in the three point contest. Probably wouldn't even finish. Yeah, it's just it's a long. It takes a long time to shoot that shot, and it takes a lot of energy. As quick as we're saying, like it is a quick release, but it it's more so like an impossible to block release. You yeah. know, like um, it's a quick motion. Yeah, a lot a of energy release. to spend. Um. All right, so yeah, the segment we skipped last week because we haven't been as interested in what else is on. You know, we, we've been so interested in the Knicks playing basketball. They've been playing so well. It's been so fun to watch them. Um, there wasn't as much of an appetite last week for what else is on, but we could bring it back this week. Um, so, Kenny, I'll start with you. You've been watching anything else beyond the Knicks? What else is on? It's been, uh, as, you, as Greg mentioned at the top of the show, uh, I've been in – COVID isolation. So I've been watching a lot. Um, you know, I think the things that stick out are mostly reruns, although uh, I did finally, after a lot of uh, prompting by by some of the members of this pod, start getting into The Last of Us. I'm two episodes in. I'm sure you guys might well, might talk a little more about that after, uh, after I talk, but no spoilers for me. Um, that's been pretty intense so far. Uh, so far, so good. Very interesting. And it's keeping my, my attention. And a lot of reruns after that. I watched, I've been watching, you know, um, Tom and Tom came over and uh, I watched, we threw on The Office for a little bit. So that was a show that I could have on in the background as I packed to go to, to Jake's wedding. Um, and then, you know, I've similar vein, a little Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And because I watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I also rewatched uh, Popstar. <laughs> never Stop, Never Stop. Don't, is it Never Stop, Never Stopping? Is that right? Yeah, uh, which is, I think Greg said, the last funny movie possibly ever made. <laughs> um, and it's good. It's a good movie. So highly recommend that for um, you guys who haven't seen it, which it's the the Lonely Island guys um, led by Andy Samberg, for those of you who don't know. Nice. Yeah. Good I, stuff. Uh, I've been rewatching Lost. That's been my, my go to. I've been watching The Last of Us. Lost is still good, still very, very much like what's going to happen next. You can't stop watching it. I've been a lot of, since I've already seen it, I do a lot of just Googling what happens next so I can remember. I'm lost, Lostpedia. And they remind me. Oh, I'm familiar with Lostpedia. Yeah. <laughs> Love that show. Yeah. Definitely went down some, some rabbit holes myself on that. Um, good stuff. What about you, Tom? Um, so we've actually taken a little pause on on uh, The Last of Us just because it's it's too intense for my wife. She doesn't like going to bed after watching um, zombies uh, 
kind of kissed each other with tongue or whatever was going on in that in that second episode. That was kind of weird. Um, I don't, I don't blame her. So a couple, <laughs> a couple. We've been watching some movies recently. Um, a pair that stood out were a couple murder mysteries. Actually, um, the first one was "See How They Run." On you can see it on HBO. It's uh, stars Adrian Brody, Sam Rockwell, Cer- Cersei Ronan, and it was really bad. It was it was a garbage film, um, just not not good writing, not good banter. It's just like thought it was trying to be funny, but it really wasn't. And uh, I would not recommend watching that. We were both pretty disappointed. We followed that up with a movie we hadn't seen. Kenny, I know you have is Murder Mystery with Adam Sandler, Jennifer Aniston. And that was significantly better. It was definitely a much better movie than See How They Run. Uh, funnier, and the, the mystery itself was better. So They're coming out uh, with a second. Oh, yeah? They got a sequel? Yep. Okay, it's we'll coming. keep an eye out for that. I mean, murder mysteries, even when they're bad, they should be at least somewhat entertaining. I just thought, see how they run. They had all the pieces, like some great actors, and it just completely flopped for me. But, um, yeah, murder mystery is fun. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we get back on The Last of Us soon. It's just, uh, yeah. got to time it right. Because I, I fully understand your wife's point of view that, like, I, after the Knicks game yesterday, I was like, well, should I watch another episode of The Last of Us? And I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that before bed. It's a little too intense. Uh, so I watched, uh, I watched Psych. I watched an episode of Psych, which I mentioned last week is a, a personal favorite of mine and a, you know, a comfort show. And, you know, on the murder mystery topic, I think Adam Sandler has had a hot, lot of very either hit or miss shows on Netflix. And I thought murder mystery was one of his his better shows that he's or his better movies that he's put out on on the Netflix. Yeah, I think the program, I guess. Yeah, the platform there. I think that uh, that and Hubie Halloween, I think, as a, as a podcast, we all agree. Um, well, listen, I think that's it for us this week, guys. Um, if you're still listening to this or watching on YouTube, we appreciate you. Make sure you leave us a five-star review on the podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at Talking Nicks, on Instagram at Talking Nicks. We've been putting out a lot of content there, um, video breakdowns, highlights. Um, it's been getting a lot of good engagement, uh, so we definitely appreciate all that. And, this is a uh, good time Good time to be following us because I think you know Tom has been breaking down some plays in a big way, and I think us as a podcast do a good job of spotting some stuff that you know some fun stuff that other people don't spot so i think like tom said there's been a lot of a lot of engagement there great time to be following on those platforms yeah and so of course we as always appreciate it and uh, until next week hey let's go nicks thanks too